Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I told Austin... We don't get to have services tomorrow on campus, so we're going to do some makeup services for My God is Real. I love love that song. That's one of the first songs my dad taught me, and I just, it never gets old to me. Well, um, I spent a long time last night, probably from about 8 o'clock to midnight, just reading news stories about scandals in the Christian world. And I was reading about a couple of ministries that I have a lot of affection for, and I believe did a lot of good. And I just, I got sick at my stomach and I just, I would sob from time to time as I would look at the damage. I mean, the, the, Satan and his crowd are having a great time at the expense of God's people because Christian leaders have let down the Lord and the Christian community and the lost world by, by horrible, horrible decisions. Well, I have to tell you, I didn't plan to bring this message when I had the series sketched out six months ago. Last week, uh, I, I started our series, uh, Behind Enemy Lines, Worlds of Warfare 2, and I, I talked to you about, as Christ followers, Behind Enemy Lines, our two biggest challenges are not to go rogue, go rogue or go AWOL. And when I preached that last week, I thought, I, I want to come back and I want to talk about that because this is such a big issue for Christ followers behind enemy lines. It's so easy for us to pick up the culture and sort of throw in the towel and say, well, I'm a Christ follower but at the same time, I want to like imbibe in this culture. So let me just start off in this particular verse tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in the 11th verse, the Bible says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. That is who we are. This world is not our home. Heaven is our home. We're here on mission. We're here on assignment. And we're behind enemy lines. So it's written to us. Look at it again. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, and this next, this next expression is huge, which war against your soul. Now, as I said last week, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a daughter of the king or a son of the king, we never fight against people. We're fighting against Satan and his demons, and the weapons of our warfare are not human. But it's important for us to understand that you and I are dealing with the spiritual battle in our own lives. This thing about not going AWOL is a real challenge for us. So I want us to think for just a few moments about that expression, war against the soul. The Bible says that I have desires that actually do warfare against my soul. And you have desires inside of you, which war against your soul. Well, let's get real basic for a moment. What are we talking about when we talk about the soul? Okay, this is the best illustration or the best explanation that I've ever heard. Your soul is that part of you that isn't material. I can say that I see you tonight, but I don't see you. I see your bodies. There is a part of you that is invisible. That, there, there is a part of you that is spiritual. And, and I have friends who are non-theists, and they'll say, you're talking about the brain. No, the brain is just the organ that the mind uses. There is a part of you that is spiritual. It is the part of you that matters most. It is amazing to me 
how that, especially in our Western world and Americans, we invest so much in the part of us that's not going to last. And we put so little care into our soul, which is going to live forever. You see, your soul is that part of you that matters most. It is that part of you that's going to last forever. So when I look at the verse I just read to you, the obvious point is, and let me see if I can say this the right way, there are cravings in the part of me that's going to disappear and that I can't take to heaven with me. There are cravings in the part of me that is cursed and broken that can actually fight against the part of me that's going to live forever and the part of me that matters most. That is something that we ought to take a deep breath tonight. I don't think I've ever heard that preached in church, but I'm just following the scripture. The Bible says, I have desires in the fleshly part of me. The Bible talks about the two natures that we have. It calls the old sinful nature, the part of us that's predisposed to sin. It calls that the flesh. And of course, the indwelling presence of God is called the spirit. And the Bible says there's this head banging, head butting thing going on inside of us between the old nature and the new nature. And by the way, if you're ever, you're like, well, I don't understand what the old nature is. Did anybody have to, have to teach you to lie? I mean, were you like in a bad situation and you're like, I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to get in trouble. And somebody came along and said, look, let me, let me just tell you how to work this out. Just tell something it's not true and you can get out of trouble. Nobody has to teach us to do wrong. There's that part of us that's just bent the wrong way. And then we have the spirit of God inside of us. This is why Christians a lot of times can do horrible things and cause us to scratch. I mean, well, let's not talk about others. Let's talk about you and me. It's why we can do horrible things sometimes. It's why we can think horrible thoughts. Because we got this nature going on inside of us that speaks the same language as the enemy. You know, Satan comes along and tries to talk to that part of you that worshipped a few moments ago and enjoyed the presence of God. And that part of you doesn't speak the same language as the devil. And the devil doesn't speak the same language as that part of you. But I'll tell you what, there's a part of me that he speaks the same language. And if Bible... If the Bible and history teach us anything, and, and you may not agree with me for a moment, but I'm not a young man and I've been pastoring for a long time. I just don't think there's, I don't think there's any way we can begin to know how low we can sink if we start taking a few steps in the wrong direction. You know what? As strange as it is, that's going to be deliverance for some of you tonight because you've sunk awfully low and you're beginning to think maybe I'm not God's child. I, I invited Jesus Christ to come in my life and you are God's child. You just have sunk awfully low. And, and here's the thing. It's surprising to you where you are tonight. You never thought you would be. You could not have imagined it a few years ago. It is possible for any of us. We just don't know how low we could sink if we start giving in to that side of us that speaks the same language as the enemy. A few years ago, I was working on something. I was doing some writing, but I had the television on. I'm a baby boomer. I have to have multiple voices going on at the same time. And in the background, I really wasn't watching the television show. It was one of those documentary shows about crimes that people commit and how they got caught and all this kind of stuff. And I wasn't even listening. I was focusing on what I was doing. But you know how it is sometimes when you've got something else coming into your head after a while, it's like something starts catching and you're like, wait a minute, what did I just hear? And it was the story of a minister, of a pastor in another city. And the story said that he'd gotten into an affair with 
one of the church leader's wives, and this church leader had been his best friend. And this pastor took a 45 automatic, put it to the head of his best friend, and pulled the trigger. But that wasn't what got my attention. The show mentioned his name. Flashback. It's the fall of 2001. For some reason, I had a number of conferences scheduled right after 9-11. I didn't know 9-11 was going to happen, but I had to go to Florida, and I had to speak in Texas, and I almost gave the city. I remember the pastor of this church had called me and said, is there any way that you could come a day early? He said, I'd like to just spend some time with you and talk to you. And so it was a Sunday I was going to be there. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll get there Friday night. And I was there all, day, all, all uh, there all day Saturday. And the a pastor called the hotel room and he said, is there any way that you could play golf with me today? And I said, I can't play golf. I don't have my clubs. He said, I'll have clubs for you. I noticed that when he came to pick me up, there was another man in the car. And the pastor introduced the man as his best friend, the person that he loved so much. He said, this man... He said to me, Mark, this man has helped me so much in my years of pastoring here. And, and he's, you know, he, he's just like the one person I can talk to when I can't talk to anybody else. And he asked me this, and I won't forget this as long as I live. He said, would you ride in the cart with him? I would like for you to, I, th- I just want to give this man a gift. I want to give him three hours or four hours with you where you can just speak into his life. And I rode around that golf course, and this man told me how much he loved his pastor and how close they were. You see, the reason why his name caught my attention is it hit me. The man who had killed his best friend was the pastor who had invited me there, and the man he killed was the man in the cart with me. Had I told David, the pastor, had I told him at that moment what he was going to do, I think he would have hit me. The idea that he could have an affair with his best friend's wife and then put a 45 automatic to his head and pull the trigger. I'm not trying to say that any of us is going to do anything like that. I I just want to say this because here's the deal. If some of you are in a really, really bad place right now, hopefully... Hopefully that's not you, but it could be any of us at any time. You're in a place right now where you're involved in stuff right now that is threatening the very fabric of your soul. And if I came to talk to you or your mom or your friend or your wife or your girlfriend or your aunt, or your, if someone came to talk to you, you would say to them, I can handle this just fine. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. We can't. We can't. In your Bible, there's a story of a mighty soldier who went AWOL. I'm talking about a soldier for God. And we're going to learn some lessons from him today. The title of tonight's talk is called Sleeping with the Enemy. And I'm not just trying to go back in time and pick up an old movie title. I I think you're going to see in a few moments that this this is a real title. We find his story in a book called Judges. But the book of Judges could better be called Dysfunction. 
I, I, I've been preaching since I was 16, and, and one of the questions that I've been asked so many times, even going back to my teen years of preaching, I've had people ask me, Mark, do you see America in the Bible? And they're always asking me in regard to prophecy. I always want to say to myself, yes, I know where America is in the Bible. It's in the book of Judges. Because Judges is a dark book. It's about God's people. But there's a cycle going on in Judges. And, and in, if you're ever going to read the, ch- the chapters of Judges, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a painful book and a heroic book. I mean, you're going to read about all kinds of bad things happening, but you're also going to read about heroes. You're going to read about Gideon, and you're going to read about Deborah and, and Jephthah and, and others. I mean, there are heroes in the book, but mostly it's ugly stuff. And it's because, as I said a moment ago, there's a cycle that goes on. What would happen is God's people, after being blessed and brought into the promised land, they would begin to worship idols and they would start sleeping around and doing all kinds of wicked stuff. And, and so they would get in trouble and God, and by the way, do you know how God judges? I mean, we've talked about the judgment of God. This is how God judges and we're watching it in America. God just steps back and lets people do what they do. And so God would just exit the room and they would get in all kinds of trouble and foreign powers would come in and the people would suffer under the tyranny of these foreign powers. And then when they suffered, the people would remember God and pray and then God would send them a judge, a deliverer who would come and get them out of trouble. And then they would have peace. But then when they had peace, they would forget about God. And when they forgot about God, they would fall into deep sin. And when they fell into deep sin, then foreign powers would come and invade and then they would suffer and then they would pray and they would ask for deliverance. And then the cycle We'll just go on and on, like, like in some of our lives. You know, it's not the only reason why Christians have trouble, but I think a lot of times God has to allow me to have trouble just so I'll straighten up. There are bad things that happen in the book of Judges. There are so many, there are bad things that happen in that book. I wouldn't teach in a mixed audience. This stuff's so ugly. But at the end of that book, in the last verse of the book, God explains the times. I mean, it's like you read these awful stories in the book of Judges and some of the heroes and heroines that come along from time to time. But at the end of the book of Judges, God is like explaining to us why stuff happens like it does. And here's this verse. The Bible says, in those days, Israel wasn't ruled by king and everyone did what they thought was right or what was right to them. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, I hear a lot of Christians today, the way they talk, you would think it sounds good to them. Everybody does sort of what they feel like doing. If it's cool to you, then do it. You know, you know have, you, have you ever talked to somebody at work, maybe or maybe at you know, church, and you're concerned about a friend of yours that's doing some stuff that's really hurtful and she's making some bad decisions and you go to this other friend and say, we need to pray for her because she's making some bad choices. And then you have that friend say to you, who are you to judge? Maybe it's right for her. (laughs) I know it sounds good until you have to live in that world. You know, this idea of people doing what's right for them, strange. There are areas of our life where we wouldn't dream of utilizing that kind of thinking. Suppose tonight in Wichita, we just decided we were going to eliminate those pesky speed limit signs. And instead of like 40, 30, 55, 70 miles an hour. Suppose you just, there was a sign that said, drive whatever speed feels right to you. After all, 60 might not be right for everybody. I like that. 
I mean, why should I drive 60? My speedometer says it goes to 160. Why do I have to drive? And school zones, 20 miles an hour? Why is that right for everybody? I mean, some people driving through school zones, their kids are all grown up. Why should they have to drive 20 miles an hour? Drive whatever speed feels right to you. It feels fine until some fool driving 120 miles an hour runs over your family. Silly, isn't it? But that's where we are. And the Bible says that's what went wrong in the book of Judges. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. Well, our hero, our, our embarrassing Christ follower, lived in those times. And his name was Samson. And like you and me, God had called him to be a warrior for him. It's a beautiful part of the story to me, but an angel visited his mom and dad when his mom, I think, was either pregnant or about to be pregnant with him. In fact, the angel visited with his mom first. You know, that's kind of how it is, isn't it, man? The ladies get it first. Um, the angel went, went to Samson's mom and, and told her he's going to be a real special child and what to do. And she went and told her husband, Manoah, and said, we're going to have a baby. But an angel came along and gave me instructions. And, and, and I love this. this. I put this in the sermon. It's not part of the message tonight. But for, I put this in there just in case anybody's pregnant or about to have a baby, you know, about to be pregnant. Samson's dad said, Lord, please give us more instructions about this son who is about to be born. <laughs> you know, God, we need parents today who will just say, Lord, any, you, do you have any instructions for me to raise this kid? You know, uh, here's the thing for all of you about to have your first kid. You know, they're, they're so cute when they're babies. If you want a baby, you just be sure you want a teenager because that's what you get eventually. And so the angel said, oh, yeah, so this is how, this is how it's going to go down. He can't have wine, no unclean food, can't cut his hair, he's going to wear, wear his hair in dreads for all of his life. And then the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come on him and he's going to do amazing things, and he did. He grew up, and I mean, he was the Philistines' nightmare. The Philistines were the enemies of God. These were the people that were causing trouble. And, and, you know, the Spirit of God would just come on Samson at times. He would do these extraordinary things. Like there was a lion who came out, and Samson took the upper jaw with one hand and the lower jaw with the other and tore him, and that would upset Peta, but he just tore the lion in half. And then I don't understand this, and I just hope God kept it on videotape because I've heard this since I was a little kid, and I have no idea how you do this, but he took the jawbone of a donkey, which will never be in Jane's catalog of military hardware. He took the jawbone of a donkey, and he killed a 1,000 Philistines. He was built to be a champion, but he had issues. How many of us... How many of us are God followers, but we have issues? Both hands, right? That's Samson's problem. He's a God follower, but he's got issues. He's got one foot in God's world, and he's got one foot in the enemy's world. And here, he developed an appetite for Philistine women. Well, the problem was the Philistines were the enemy. But he had a thing for the Philistine babes. He just thought they were hotter than girls in his neighborhood. Now, you understand the problem. I mean, he's there to, 
give grief to the Philistines, but he's got a thing for, for Philistine babes. And, and the word of God tells us in the book of James chapter 1, verse 8, that a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all his ways. In other words, a person who claims to be about God, but also has a foot in Satan's world, you never know what that guy's going to do. You can't count on him. You know, I, I know I'm not trying to be funny. There are ladies here tonight, you're married to a man like that. You know, sometimes he's in church and he's a God follower, but then there's times when he's looking at stuff and doing stuff. And he may, be a, he may love the Lord very much. He may be a God follower, but he, you, you, don't know, you don't know who you're going to find. Well, let's just follow the evolution of what's going on in Samson's life. We know his problem. But you know what? Oh, my goodness. Can I have some extra time tonight? I know how early I am in the sermon, and I just saw the clock. He's like a lot of Christians. He's going to try to do the wrong thing the right way. I mean, it's the devil's will, but he's going to try to do it God's way. Of course, it's going to blow up. And the enemy's going to exploit his appetites. He finds this Philistine woman, and it's like, I'm going to marry her. We're going to do this the right way. But the Philistines, the enemy, of course, they exploit that. They go to his wife, and they intimidate her into betraying him. And Samson's like, it's going to be so perfect. I'm going to be God's man and sleep with the enemy. And it blows up, and it's just a mess. Notice how he begins to slip. Because the next time we see him, his appetites are out of control. He's not even trying to put a God spin on it anymore. How many of us got away from God? And at first we tried to put a God spin on it. But after a while, it just started affecting us so much. We're just not even trying to put God spin on it anymore. He's, he's in the house of a prostitute. There's no relationship there. He's laying down money. But the Spirit of God is still working in his life. And when the Philistines come to take advantage of his situation, Samson walks out and the power of God is on top of him. And he picks up the city limits sign. I mean, he picks up the gates to the city. And the Philistines decide they don't want any of Samson that night. But now his life's a total contradiction. Hard to imagine, except I bet so many people like this. Somehow in Samson's mind, it still works. He can handle it. When a daughter or a son of God develops an appetite for something spiritually unhealthy, we can think we're in control, but there's always that unrecognizable point. There's that spiritual click where we stop controlling it, and it controls us. Perhaps the most famous of all the ministerial scandals in the United States happened around 30 years ago. And a very famous evangelist consorted like Samson with a prostitute. A mutual friend of ours, I, I don't know this man, but a friend of mine that's a friend of his, said something about him that he's reported to have said. He said, I put my foot in the water, and then I took it out. I would go down to the river and put my, he wasn't talking about a real river, he's just talking about the sand. I put my foot in the water. He said, I'll never forget the day when I put my foot in the water and I couldn't get it out. I read the story years ago about people who on a very icy day, kind of like the weather friend right now, we're at Niagara Falls, and they heard this unearthly shrieking, screaming of an animal. And when they saw what it was, it was an eagle that had swooped down 
to feed on the carcass of a dead bear that was floating in the Niagara River toward the falls. And what they saw was this eagle, as the swift current was moving the eagle to the edge, to the precipice, and what was happening, the eagle was beating her wings with everything she had trying to rise, but sometime along the line, line, her talons had frozen into that carcass that she was in, and no matter how she beat her wings, she could not get loose, and they watched as she went over the edge. And that's what happens with a daughter or a son of God when they develop an appetite for something that's unhealthy. For a while, they're in control, but there's that, that click, that untimed, unrecognizable click when they're frozen into what they've gotten into, and now they can't get out. And that click happened to Samson. The woman he married, he didn't really love her. He was just trying to do the wrong thing the right way. He was trying to have some Philistine sex, but, you know, put the God spin on it. He didn't love the prostitute. He just laid his money down, got what he paid for that night. But like the old saying, and all of y'all are too young to remember this song, he fooled around and fell in love with a woman named Delilah. He thinks she's smitten with him. But what he doesn't know is that the enemies. The enemy, the Philistines, went to Delilah with a big checkbook and said, find out what his mojo is. We don't know. I mean, this guy just kicks us around. I mean, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there was these pictures of Samson as this masculine guy, a big muscular guy. I think he looked very ordinary. And then the Philistines can't figure out why this guy just keeps making their life miserable. And they said to Delilah, look, we will pay you big money if you will find out what kind of roids he is on. And so Samson, he's so foolish, he doesn't know he's smitten in love. And so you can see him, you know, he's the fireplace is burning and soft music is going, a little light jazz. And Samson's head is in her lap and she's saying, Samson, baby, you don't love me. Oh, of course I do. No, you don't love me. Lovers should not have any secrets. Tell me, tell me, why is it you can do this stuff? What's your secret? Well, Samson was born at night, but not last night. And he loves Delilah, but he's not sure he wants the secret out in the street. So he gives her some kind of, he wouldn't be the first guy that gave a girl a line, would he? And Samson's like, you know, if you tie me with bowstring, that's how you do it. You tie me with bowstring and that stops me. He wakes up and he's tied with bowstring. That would bother me. <laughs> and she said, Samson, the Philistines are here. <laughs> Snapped him, got up. She said, you lied to me, baby. He's back at her house the next night. Had a dinner, candlelight. And Delilah said, you know, last night you were toying with me. Now, you, you know, you, if you love me, you would tell me. And Samson said, well, you know, the problem is new ropes. I, you know, old ropes, they, they buy me with old ropes, and they don't get anywhere. But new ropes, that's, man, that's my kryptonite. So he wakes up, and he's tied up with new ropes. And if he didn't get bothered over the bowstring, that would be about all I needed to see. You know, it's like I tell her this is my secret. Next time, he must have been a sound sleeper. You <laughs> Woke up and he's got ropes all over him. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are here. <sniffs> Snapped him. You lied to me. Samson said, okay, I tell you what. And notice he's getting a little closer to the truth this time. He said, if you weave my dreads into the loom, that'll just wipe out my strength. He wakes up and 
<laughs> His hair is all woven into her loom. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are here. Snapped it. Next night, she said, Samson, I think we need to end this thing. I think it's, it's not you, it's me. We just need to end this and we'll give you a ring back. And Samson said, okay, if you cut my hair, press pause. I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up, and, and y'all are all way too young, you know what I'm talking about. We used to have something called flannel graph. It was like prehistoric videos. And the teacher would tell the story, and then she, she would put the flannel piece up on the board, and there's Samson with his muscles, and, and then, you know, then there's the picture of him getting his hair cut off. And, and the teacher would say to us, his strength was in his hair. No, I don't think so. I don't think so for a moment. New Spring, if you miss this, you may miss one of the greatest lessons of our lives. He just flipped God off one too many times. That's what happened. I, I know that because notice when he got up, he thought, you know what's going to be just like he did every time? Judges 16, verse 20, awaking from his sleep, he said, I will go out as other times shaking myself free, but he was not conscious that the Lord had gone from him. Because time is so limited tonight and because this is so gruesome, I won't even, I won't tell you a whole lot about this, but the Philistines took him, they bound him. Down, they had a grinding house there. There was this big four foot wide, big foot, uh, four foot long, foot wide round stone that they used to grind grain and they would attach a beast of burden to that top stone that go around a post in the middle and that's how they grind their grain. They took Samson down to the grinding house they took a hot iron and they poked his eyes out. The last thing Samson saw was a hot iron coming to gouge his eyes out. And they hooked him up to that top stone and he spent the rest of his life grinding grain. Until one night, the Philistines were having a big party. They decided they were going to do some trash talking. They decided they were going to do some, have some fun with Samson. They brought him down and they started taunting him. And... Uh, Samson said to the young boy, he is being led at this time by a little boy. He said to the boy, he said, would you take me to the pillars? It was like a three-story structure. He said, take me to the center pillars that hold the house up. And the Spirit of God came on him one more time, and he crushed those pillars, and the entire house fell. He killed more Philistines with his death than he did in his life. Now, what does this have to do with us? Samson was a believer. I believe we'll sit down with him in heaven and talk to him. Maybe he'll watch the videos with us, the ones that are allowed in heaven. And he was behind enemy lines. He was anointed to make a difference. But instead of being who he was destined to be, he joined the enemy, and his life was an embarrassment. Real, real quickly, let's learn a lesson. How did Samson get off track? Number one, he developed unhealthy appetites. We are told today that life is about choices. Technically, that's true. But I think there's a glitch, there's a defect in that statement, life is about choices. And that glitch goes like this. We tend to think that we make choices in terms of neutrality. 
Now, maybe we do if we're going down and we don't know whether to buy a Ford pickup truck or a Chevrolet pickup truck. Maybe that's a somewhat neutral choice. We stand at the crossroads and make a choice. But I think there's something way more fundamental than choices. And they're appetites. Appetites drive choices. One more time. Appetites drive choices. Let me illustrate. Some of us, including me, are overweight. Do we want to be? No. Is it our desire to make good nutritional choices? Yes. Do we understand that there's a connection between unhealthy nutritional choices and being overweight? Yes, we do. So if we understand all those things, what's our problem? Appetites. It's that stuff that just calls to us when we're driving down Rock Road. And, if, you know, if you drive it by Krispy Kreme, they help your baser side by turning the light on the thing. You're like the guy that drove around Krispy he, he drove up to Krispy Kreme and he said, God, if it's your will for me to have a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, let, let there be a parking place. Sure enough, on the 12th time around, there was a parking place. Now, listen to me, please. If you try to change your choices without changing your appetites, you'll fall every time. Here's the problem. We don't think we can change our appetites. That's just who I am. No, it's not. We develop our appetites. You know what I started my morning with? About four cups of coffee. When I was about six years old, there was like a little church dinner, and I was always smelling the aroma of coffee, and it was... Smelled so wonderful, and no adult was looking, and I just decided I was going to get a cup of that wonderful smelling coffee. That was the worst stuff I ever put in my mouth in my life. <laughs> if somebody had told my six-year-old self, you're going to start every morning, you're going to have to have four cups of coffee, I'm like, you crazy. <laughs> but I developed an appetite for it. And you and I need to look into our appetites. Because here's the thing. You know what? Bad appetites are made by bad behavior that's repeated, and good appetites, healthy appetites, are made out of repeated healthy behavior. Now, that means if you're in a bad appetite and you want to develop a good appetite, you've got to string some no's together, some N-O apostrophe S. You've got to say no, not once, but several times, repeatedly to the wrong thing. Start saying right, yes to the right thing, and you'll develop better appetites. Here's the second thing, and I'm finished. He wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. I believe something tonight. I believe this with all my heart, and I'm preaching. I, I, I read those scandals and sat there and sobbed until midnight last night. And I thought, God, help me preach this to myself and to all of us who are gathered here. I believe something tonight. If you're a God follower behind enemy lines and we begin to get off track, I think there will be voices of reason in our life. There will be people. There will be things. There will be messages from a, from a preacher. There will be something you read in the Bible, listen to in a song. There's going to be a voice that's going to try to reason with us. You know, Samson, back at that first situation, he told his father and mother, a young woman, a Philistine woman in Timnah, caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe among all the Israelites that you can marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Interesting, isn't it? His dad gave him reasons, but Samson responded with feelings. 
it suddenly got very quiet in here. That's what we always do. When we're doing something that we know is wrong, people give us reasons, but we respond with feelings. As if somehow, how I feel is going to make gravity not work. I am 13 minutes over time. I don't get to preach tomorrow. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two statements to close out. Number one, if you, want to, if you want to overcome in your life, here's the thing. Take responsibility, shift control to God. In other words, take responsibility. God, it's my problem. I need to own up. I got problems. I'm going to take responsibility. And because of that, I shouldn't have control. I'm going to shift control to you. The culture says... The opposite, shift responsibility and take control. That's why we are where we are. May God help us as daughter warriors and son warriors of the king to take responsibility and give God control. Thank you for being here tonight. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time newspring.org.